0: You are listening to My Activism Story by Amnesty International Nigeria. Right here, we'll unpack the personal stories of Nigerian frontline activists, civil societies, and policymakers while exercising their civic responsibilities. One thing is sure, you've been inspired and awakened to be champions of human rights. Let's dive in.
1: guest today is Miriam Awaisu, a writer and an activist who has been advocating for women's rights in the Arewa region. In this podcast episode, It Could Be You, she beams light on the challenges of advocating for women's rights in a conservative society and the backlash she has received from those who believe that speaking out about sexual assault and harassment is immoral.
2: You know it your life is in danger and then so you, you find people who's thinking is it worth it and if you go to the police like i told you the police threatened me with rape so you can imagine what how how that is uh with the girls that i told you that were raped i was right there when the police were slut shaming them you could say i'm gonna go through this because at least there's light at the end of the tunnel but where's the light at the end of the tunnel for the woman in northern nigeria or even in nigeria really
1: So Miriam, I would just, um, like you to tell us about the Arawa Me Too movement and why this mattered to you.
2: Yes. Um, so, and I would say it would, it would matter because I'm a woman. I was born in the Northern Nigeria. Ariwa means North in Hausa. So That's the simple reason it would matter to me, you know, from, from when I was a child, I grew up there, I saw things that didn't make sense to me, I saw the things that women had to do, you know, bend themselves, twist themselves, shrink themselves, and it never made sense to me and men didn't have to do that. And this rubbish, you know, we saw in the homes, we saw in public, and it seemed to be fine with everybody um but you know the height of it the height of this oppression is you know the sexual kind where in the north men have found a way to get away with it um so that's so that's a simple answer why i care about it you know i have seen this rubbish and it's it was there when i was born and it continues while you know i'm an adult and it's continuing and it just felt like no like why is anybody calling this out for the ridiculousness it is like we're watching men you know do things that are worse than death to girls and women and we're just supposed to look away if it felt you know i felt like i was siding with the oppressor by keeping quiet which is what we do when we keep quiet and I was like no enough is enough like this is too much I'm gonna speak about it and you know all hell can break loose and it, it did but uh, you know I would never take it back
1: He said something about everybody has to get involved, that you're keeping quiet means that you're siding with the oppressor. Wow, that's really a punchline I uh, like you just dropped there. So that leads me to the next question. What are some of the inspiring stories from the Arawa Too movement that you have witnessed and how has it impacted your work and activism? Um,
2: okay, so just how it came about and how it took over the world again because you know these things are not isolated these things happen all over the world and women were saying no and so you know it wasn't it wasn't just me i i was happy to take the fall for it because i knew somebody would have to take the fall for it but it was really a huge group effort it was a couple of women and a few men and you know we we came across uh, just some really disturbing things and we decided we have to talk about this and so uh, the hashtag was actually coined by Fakriya Hashim also an activist and you know she wanted to give it context like me too is happening all over the world but this is specific to northern nigeria because this is a cancer in this place so that was how that came about and she coined it and um i'm telling you the when when the story broke and the hashtag went viral all over the world those stories that women and girls felt empowered to tell us that they couldn't speak about before because it was taboo. It was insane. It was overwhelming. We were combing through hundreds in one night, hundreds of ridiculous stories. And the most heartbreaking thing was that these stories were things that we knew. In the, in the tiny group of about 10 people, you know, we started having our own Me Too moment cause we're sharing the stories and we were like, well, you know what, who else did this happen to? And all of the women raised our hands and it was so heartbreaking, but there were so many stories. I can't, I don't know if I could tell you that any really stood up cause there were so many and it was just so humbling but heartbreaking to know that so many women had these stories and they didn't feel like they had the courage to share it and they didn't want the the pushback but all of a sudden one hashtag and they were just letting it pour and you you could see the 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 continuing effects till today so i don't know if i can point out to one story but there, there were so many, there were so many, each more heartbreaking than than the other. I think what, what stands out to me, there was a case in one day of two different girls, 13 and 14 year olds who were raped different places, different men. But um, I was called in through the #Iromi2 hashtag by a stranger who didn't know me. Just, they felt like you, you spoke for this, we don't know who to call, so can you come over? and it was one of the most heartbreaking things in my life. Both parents of these raped girls took them to the police station for them to be tortured by the police for being raped. And I don't think I can ever get over that night. It was a nightmare. Um, At the end, I did manage to get them to release the girls, but... um, It it was, it was a day that I would never forget. So do you understand what I mean? If not for hashtag Iowa Me Too, the family was in that situation and they had no idea who to call because this is the kind of situation where you're trying to, you know, catch somebody's eye, like, can you see I'm suffering? Can you help me? And everybody looks away. So they had to reach out to a stranger on the internet who they just had to trust. And this, you
1: know, this conversation is packed online. Uh, there, there was, you know, scrutiny from high-profile individuals. Um, have you or other members of the Awawa Me Too movement faced any threats or harassment uh, during your involvement in this? And then, how did you respond to these threats? I'm asking because um, we, we know that in the northern part of Nigeria, you know, having women speaking up, Uh, on issues like this, um, sometimes you you hardly find. And then when we have, you know, women stand up um, to speak against issues like this, it's, you know, it's something that we have to look at. So I want to talk about um, the harassment of threats you faced and any other member that you know and how you responded to these threats.
2: Yeah. um, So, like I said, you know, if if you're a person who is observant, unless you're living in a very unrealistic bubble, you would know to expect serious pushback especially in the north about these things because people do it with so much audacity so we didn't know the extent of it but we knew we were treading in dangerous waters which was why we strategized and i said um it doesn't make sense for all of us to get in whatever kind of trouble this is so i would take the fall for it so I wasn't sure what I was getting into like I knew there would be pushback. but I didn't know how much it was incredible. Um, we were harassed online I think it went you know it went on for a full week like I couldn't interact with my followers I couldn't read anything online because all of us actually our mentions were just full of insults and insults and it had no logic do you understand you couldn't they couldn't explain to you how the insults were related to speaking out against sexual harassment but it's just how dare you talk we need to silence you and and so the insults went on um people in the group received a lot of insults in on online mostly but in real life it was it was tough because also People near us, family and friends, we're all going, look, you know, this is too much. Just whatever you have to do to kill it, just kill it. And this is exactly what an oppressor counts on. Oppressors have so much audacity because they know the majority of people are cowardly they wouldn't rally behind those who speak. And that was exactly what we were facing. Like, okay, you guys did such a great thing, but you know what, shut it down because this is too much heat. And I remember people telling me, you know, I I am a person with disability. So they said, look, because of your chronic illness, you know you need to you can't deal with the stress end it and I felt like no you know I knew I had the chronic illness when I got myself into it so again that there was that pressure and a lot of people took a step back because their family and friends were concerned and I wouldn't blame them um but yeah it was um it was it was cataclysmic I would say uh I was arrested um no. So they, they sent to, um, the men of the Nigeria police with AK-47s in a truck. There were about seven of them to come to arrest me, you know, like I was the Hulk or something. And I was basically abducted, not really arrested and taken to another uh, another state without informing anybody where I was and who was responsible for me. And on the way, the police threatened me with rape. Like, I'm in the middle of nowhere with armed policemen, and they threatened me with rape. They mocked, and they said, you know, I had to be a spoiled girl. Like, how, why would you do this? Like, why would you create this trouble for yourself? The conversation was never about the victims. It was never about anything like that. They just tried to mock why I would do that, and they threatened to rape me. Um, It took a while. It took a lot of efforts. Uh, Thankfully, uh, thanks to the hashtag, it had gone viral. It had garnered a lot of attention and I believe that that was very helpful in you know getting me out of that situation because there was so much scrutiny um, it's not just a case of me just disappearing but for months for years it went on uh, Insults, threats uh, uh, we were linked with LGBTQ and if you understand what that means it's a way of just bringing hatred to us because people know that especially in Nigeria, there's so much hate for queer people. So they dug up our tweets and they said, look, this is the proof. These are queer people. They're here to destroy our families and our cultures. And that was it. The mob went wild. They wouldn't listen to reason. And the talk was no longer about victims and sexual abuse and speaking out, it was about LGBTQ. And, and if you know how mob action works online, that's literally it. We were threatened with death so many times. We were uh, threatened with lynching. And so it was a very tough time, uh, but I think, well, we're, we're still standing.
0: You are listening to my activism story by Amnesty International Nigeria.
1: Very sad to hear about the the, the threats, uh, the challenges that you had to go through. You know, standing up for women whose rights have been violated. That leads me to my next question. Because we know that you know there are peculiar challenges for women in the north, you know, trying to access justice for you know acts of gender-based violence. Can you you know help us you know pinpoint the peculiar challenges you know that you know that make women not pursue their rights or pursue justice when that when they are being violated?
2: Yes, I would say as as long as you're a woman, that's that's all the challenge that you're gonna get. Like everything if you're a woman then you know just just don't expect anything um it's a patriarchal society most societies are it's it's just more intense here because they use the religion excuse to shut you down so as a woman if you say this was done to me by this person all of a sudden um, they, they need unbelievable proof by some miracle you know you you they expect that there was a cctv camera and you told your rapist oh my god you know smile for the camera and that's what they want but they they know you know a thief is not gonna rub you you know in the afternoon people do bad things while hiding it's 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 natural, but people suddenly forget that they, um, gaslight you They tell you you're lying. They come up with reasons. Usually they would say you're probably in love with the person and he doesn't want you. And that's why, and people who you think would know better would jump on it. Your family is going to want no parts in it. They might feel, you know, I'm sorry, this happened to you, but first of all, what were you doing there? You know, you know, you could have prevented it. So a lot of blame would probably come from your family and friends. And the consensus would be, you need to kill this talk. We don't wanna hear about it. We don't want the trouble. We, you know what kind of society we're in. We don't want the trouble. So it's easy to call people cowards, I suppose, but you have to understand that it's not everybody has the kind of tough skin to just say, I'm gonna take on this society on my own and I will bear the consequences for what's right. You know, people have, um, I would say, understandable fears, because like I said to you, you talk about abuse, they're going to soon um, just put something in there, most likely LGBTQ or something that doesn't make sense. And before you know it, your life is in danger. And then so you, you find people thinking, is it worth it? And if you go to the police, like I told you, the police threatened me with rape. So you can imagine what how how that is. The VAP Act has been passed in a number of states. I promise you it's just um, in theory. The police don't know what the VAP Act is. They don't want to know because it doesn't serve their misogynistic ways. Uh, With the girls that I told you that were raped, I was right there when the police were slut-shaming them. They were raped by grown old men, but these girls, these teenagers were slut-shamed by the police that they're supposed to go to. So you can't, if you go to the police, they will gaslight you, they would slut-shame you. If you're not careful, they could rape you in custody because they feel like, well, somebody else has had their way, I might as well. Which was something I had to warn the parents of those girls about. Um, like you brought them to, you didn't. You brought them to to their enemies. Um, so you can't go to the police. Your family would probably not support you. Your friends would shun you because they just don't want this trouble. And the law, the court is also predominantly laughable. It's almost impossible to prove rape. So, and then again, the the, the courts are also to a large extent misogynistic so it would it would be a complete shit show for your life but you don't even know you know you could say i'm gonna go through this because at least there's light at the end of the tunnel but where's the light at the end of the tunnel for the woman in northern nigeria or even in nigeria really who's gonna pay your illegal Fees for something, for an outcome that is probably not going to be in your favor. All the guy has to do is say, it was consensual and there is no evidence against it. And that's it. And you would be shunned by society. He would be celebrated. That's exactly what we saw happen. So literally you have nowhere to turn to. You have nowhere to run. You have no recourse, none. Everything and everybody you know almost is against you once that happens now we
1: have identified you have identified the roadblocks the the obstacles um to women who are you know victims of sexual um violence and then i would like to ask you what would you consider or what would you like to see or what are the support or resources that would be more helpful in addressing the threats and challenges facing of of women who you know who are victims of sexual based violence
2: oh yes um there are things i would like to see I'm not sure how effective they would be in the long run in a society that's just so inherently, you know, against the woman. But yes, so I would like to see centers where the first thing is you could go there to have a what they call a rape kit where, you know, you're examined and they take swabs and things like that. Not that it's always helpful, but... And don't get me wrong, we do have some of those. But because at that point, I was literally forced to become a first respondent for these things, for, you know, sexual assault. I got calls at every hour that you can imagine. I had to go to places I'd never been to. These centers are also run by women who think, unfortunately, despite whatever training they've had, that the girl is always at fault. You have a victim going there for a rape kit and she's being slut so shamed. I, I wanted to not see that. I want the training to be so intensive and the consequences so severe that nobody dares say that to a a girl that is already traumatized, but that's not what we have on ground. The centers, you call their numbers, they don't even answer. I would like to see something better. I would like to see more accountability. I would like to see more efficiency and then you know just in the where else would i say I, the police but then the police is I, I i'm not sure it's a whole ridiculous institution and i'm not sure how overhauling it would work but i do remember uh, some of the work that we did in that department was thinking of you know playing their game the police understands money and money alone unfortunately so maybe there could be a way to incentivize you know, prosecuting such cases, but with transparency and then the officers involved in that would receive special financial benefits, which would be funded by, you know, non nonprofit organizations. Uh, we wrote several submissions to that effect. Again, you know, this is in theory and in, in practice, there's so many bottlenecks to this a corrupt, um, a corrupt industry is a corrupt industry it's 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 very difficult trying to pick somebody and make them the model good apple so these are what i would like to see i would i would like to see better ways i i think it's it's a little too strict what we what we need in the courts to say that okay rape or at least some sort of assault happened it's too strict and i think that was by design to let the perpetrators which are who are usually men go scot-free so these are lofty dreams i know but i feel like we could start somewhere but with at least to the centers at least there's a document that said somebody came you know on this day and this is what we saw but then you have to remember that rape isn't always violent and doesn't have to leave a trace. a
1: passionate note, how do you stay motivated and resilient in the face of challenges and obstacles you've encountered as human rights activists?
2: Uh, to tell you the truth, and there was the time I said, I can't do this, I'm done with this. That it's, it's too dark, there's no support, everybody's against me. And you know, I felt like it was taking too much of a toll on my mental health. To see these things, to see these real people, I would go home, and I couldn't sleep, and I had to go to work in the morning, and everything I was doing for this was out of my pocket, and it felt too much. And I'm like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. But unfortunately, I'm not sure that I can ever separate myself from any form of activism at any level. I, I suppose it's a nature thing. It doesn't make sense to me to see wrong being done, and then I just turn my face away. I try sometimes, but it's, 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 it's my nature. I can't, I need to say something. At least do you understand what I mean? Um, You don't have to do the most, but and the very least you could do is just say something. Uh, What an oppressor counts on is that silence. All you, if you break that silence as an onlooker, it could be the biggest thing you do for a victim. Do you understand? So I'm not telling people to, you know, dedicate their resources and time like I do, but just say something if you can, like, do you understand? I, it's not a world, it doesn't feel like it's a world worth living in if all of us are just gonna look away when wrong is being done. So for me, that's just my motivating thing. Like I I can't do, I don't know how to look away. That would feel so dishonest to who I am and what I stand for. You said you can't look away. now. Uh, Is that advice you also want to give to others
1: who are working to promote social justice and human rights in challenging
2: environments? I would like to say that, but sometimes, like I said, it could be idealistic because even for me, there was a time it felt like this is too much. We just need to know that we cannot give from empty cups. So if it's draining you, if it's affecting your mental health, please take a break, take a step back only deal with what you feel you can but what you can deal with is relative it could just be saying hey you know stop that hey that's wrong when someone is groping someone it it could be that easy so i i cannot give a universal thing and say you need to do this you need to do that do what you're capable of do what you can sustain do what's not going to also kill you um and make sure you have help I mean, psychological help. Make sure you have therapy because that's so much darkness that you're internalizing, and and you can't give when you're broken. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but you know that little speaking up could be just what makes a difference. So just do what you're, you're you're capable of sustaining. I think that's what I would say. But just make sure you're you're really not always looking away because then who's gonna stand for for the wronged? Uh, So the final question would be, in one word, what's activism to you? I would say speaking. It seems so basic, but literally it's the beginning of activism. Speak, speaking, speak out, say something. Don't be among the crowd. Don't be the supporter of the oppressor with your silence. Like silence is so powerful for oppressors. All you have to do is break it speak that is activism i saw something wrong I, s- I said something about it i saw something wrong i dealt with it i narrated it so that the world could know so that others could learn from it that is activism what that could spark as we saw with i Michu, is beyond your imagination so activism is speaking.
0: We hope that this conversation has been enlightening and has given you a deeper understanding of the human rights challenges confronting our society. We firmly believe that safeguarding and advancing human rights is pivotal in building a fair and equitable community, and we urge you to get involved and join the movement by becoming a supporter. To start, send us a WhatsApp at plus +2349085998230. That is plus +2349085998230.